0: evening, and I want you to notice what the Bible says here in Matthew 13 and beginning in verse number 9. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, to, saying this to Jesus, why speakest thou unto them the multitudes in parables and these stories? And he answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you. To know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore, speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And to them is fulfilled the prophecy of Asaith, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard. Them. Now, there's a lot that is said in this passage of Scripture in the context that we're not going to cover and discuss, but Jesus made a principle very clear in this passage of Scripture, and that is that many people who can hear have never actually heard. Hearing, they shall hear not. Seeing, They shall see not. Now obviously, spiritually speaking, what Jesus was talking about is those people who don't have the Spirit of God in their life, they haven't trusted Christ as their Savior, they're spiritually blind, and they cannot understand the the spiritual truth that's revealed to us in God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 talks to us about that principle right there. But it is very possible for people to be able to hear something that's being said and not really receive what the Lord intends for us to receive from what is being said. And Jesus often used parables because of this. He used parables to communicate truth, to bring it down to the level of the people so that they could understand the truth that he was trying to communicate. That's one of the reasons he used these parables. And in a certain sense, that's the same way that I'd like to use these signs tonight, To communicate some biblical truth that God spoke to my heart about as we were going through this sign language course. And so just have a little bit of fun with this. Now, here's the rules tonight. Are you ready for this? You have to do the signs with me. All right? Even you, Austin, I'm watching you. He's up there. Helping with the sound. All right, we have to do the signs tonight, and especially those of you who know signs, you can correct me when I'm wrong, okay? I'll probably be wrong on a few tonight. Um, We'll see how well Miss Katie taught me here. And so, before we jump into this, why don't we pray and ask God to bless our time looking at these things from the scripture? Father, thank you for this time and your word that we can spend. I pray it will be profitable. Lord, this is a different way of communicating your truth, Um, and yet, Lord, I think it can be refreshing. I know that you will use it because it's your word. And I pray God that it would be clear, that the word would be cut straight, and Lord, that you'd be glorified in everything that's said and done. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First lesson God taught me through sign language, if you want to write it down, is this God taught me about his order of authority. Now we started out with Leviticus 18 this morning, and now we're gonna so we're gonna start off tonight with the order of authority. We'll go ahead and get the hard one out of the way tonight. But there are three signs that we learned. To describe a man, a woman, and God. You know, you describe a woman. Does anybody know what the sign for a woman is? Not, not girl, but a woman. What's the sign? You know what it is? There you go. You start right here and you come down. And you come down to your heart. Okay? You say, why is that? Because ladies talk a lot. You've got to start right here, okay? <laughs> no, that's, that's not what Miss Katie said. But <laughs> um, the guy, you know how to do a man? You start at the forehead. You come down. It's because guys think they know it all, okay? Yeah, I was paying attention. I was paying attention. You start here and you come down. So woman, man, how do you do God? You start up here and you come down. Now, some of you aren't doing the signs, all right? I'm going to have you come up here. I'm just kidding with you. But God is here. And so we have woman, we have man, and we have God right here. Some of you are really, really getting busy there with your up and down. I'm glad I'm happy for you there. But God, he's above all. And we see something demonstrated to us about the order in which God created this world um, between a man and a woman and God. There's an underlying biblical principle that as I was learning that, I said, wow, there's something to learn from that. I want you to go in your Bibles with me to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. This is something we've learned. Um, we, we Actually, it was, it's been two years ago now. We, we talked on this subject early on in our study in the book of Genesis, but Genesis chapter 1 And what we find in the book of Genesis is that God created man and woman equally and each with a specific and unique purpose. He made them equally. Important to understand, but He made them each with a specific purpose, a specific role to fill. The Bible says in Genesis 1, verse 27, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He him. Male and female created He them. So from the very beginning... What we find here communicated to us in the scripture is that God gave to the man and the woman each their own unique and beautiful role to fit in in society. And as we study on in the book of Genesis, we begin to see the Lord describing those roles more perfectly for us. Going to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, the Bible says, "...and the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The Lord God put a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed." Verse 15, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Provider and protector. From the very beginning that's one of the reasons that God created the man. One of the roles God gave him in this society. In the same way in Genesis 2, the Bible also communicates to us how God created the woman and the role that he gave to her. In Genesis 2.18, the Bible says, And the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him an help meet for him. The man was created to provide and protect. The woman then was brought into creation on the same day, I believe, that the man was created to be a helpmate. To be a helpmate to the man. And from the very beginning, we see the Lord specifically, beautifully creating men and women and making them each to fit into a particular role in this world. And I say to you this, this evening, the roles of men and women, they were not the result of the curse. And I've heard people try to say that before. Well, the reason the things, things are the way they are is because we sinned and then God cursed us. And that isn't true. God created men and women to have these specific and beautiful roles before the curse was ever brought in. What the curse did is that they made the roles that we have to fit into more difficult and sorrowful. It's one of my favorite John MacArthur quotes. He, he describes the women's plight in life as having to continue to give birth to little sinners and to be married to a big one. <laughs> and all you ladies said, amen. there you go. Thank you very much. It's funny. But if I said something like that about the women, I, the men couldn't say amen, but you all can say amen. I don't understand how that works. But anyways... But from the very beginning, God has made the roles for men and women very clear. Number one, he is supreme. And then there's the man, who is to be the head of the home. And there's the woman, who is to be the heart of the home. And even in something as simple as sign language, we see those roles communicated. I'm not going to take the time to go here. But this principle is taught throughout the scripture. If You go to Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible talks about the role of men and women. Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 31. You can read it yourself, lady. We've been there many times as a church. The Bible talks about these roles in the context of the home and how significant it is that we understand the role we fit in into our home. Um, they're each equal, unique, but they're each a God-ordained, God-ordained place for us to fit in. In the, in, the same, in the same breath, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, it talks about our role's in the church. And a, women, a woman can hold a role, a man should not hold, could not hold. And contrawise, a man can hold a role in the church that a woman should not hold. No one better than another, just different. It's important we understand God's order of authority because we're living in a time where something called egalitarianism is on the rise. Anybody know what egalitarianism is? All right. That is particularly in the context of the church, women trying to assume places of leadership that the Bible has clearly said they should not hold on to. And it's becoming a commonplace thing in our day and time. Now, I'm not going to get up here and and banter and rave on this for a while, but it's something I learned. in something as simple as sign language, understanding the roles that God has given us in this world, and something as simple as God, man, and woman. And it's something I think that we can learn from in the Scripture. By the way, no human role is better than another. We're just all different. We men, the Bible says it's not good that we should live alone. And I think we know that very clearly. That's why God brought women into the world. It would not be possible for men to exist without women, nor would it be possible for women to exist without men. No matter how much you try to convince yourself that isn't true, (laughs) it is true. We need each other. First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 11 and 12, it says, "Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God." And so the first thing I learned that God taught me through sign language is his order of authority. Here's the second thing I learned, if you're writing things down. The second thing God taught me is he taught me about knowledge, understanding and wisdom. I love this. I love how sign language is very descriptive about things. He taught me about knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 2 in your Bibles with me. Proverbs chapter 2. What's the difference between knowledge, understanding, and wisdom? Well, you find your place there in Proverbs chapter 2, and then I'll show you the signs for them. The sign for knowledge. You're putting something into your head. Knowledge is truth that is attained. You're putting something into your head. All right. The sign for understanding. Take your index finger and ding. It's like a light bulb. Okay. Okay. There's understanding. All right. Understanding is truth that is apprehended. Knowledge, truth that's attained. Understanding Truth that's apprehended, wisdom. You take uh, the letter X from the alphabet. Kind of looks like Captain Hook there for you, okay? And you tap your forehead like that. All right? This is wisdom. All right? Wisdom is not truth that's attained. It's not truth that's apprehended. But wisdom is truth that is applied. It almost has the idea of you're, 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 you're taking something out of your head. That's that's, that's what I think about when I think about wisdom. You're taking something out of your head because it's in there. You know it. You understand it. But now you're using it in practical living. And so the Bible teaches us the difference between knowledge, wisdom, and understanding here in Proverbs chapter 2. And I want you to see what the Lord has to say here in Proverbs chapter 2 in verse number 6. The Bible says, For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. All true knowledge, understanding, and wisdom come from the Lord, the Bible teaches us here. All of it comes from the Lord. Excuse you. (laughs) The Lord gives wisdom out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. And so don't miss this. God enables you to attain and to apprehend his truth. Through his word. That's what the latter part of the verse says. It says, Out of his mouth, from his word, comes this knowledge and understanding. Where do you learn true knowledge? From God's word. Where do you gain true understanding? Through God's word. That's how you gain, God's, that's how you gain truth, and that's how you apprehend, understand God's truth, is through his word. But where does wisdom come from? What does the first part of the verse say? For the Lord what? He gives wisdom. Now that's different. You see, it is the Lord who enables you. Once you have come to a place of knowledge of his truth and understanding of his truth, it is the Lord that then enables you to put his truth into practice. How often has this happened for you in your life when you're going about doing something and then you remember a verse or you remember something you learned from the scripture and you remember sometimes begrudgingly That's not what the Lord would want me to do. Or this is what the Lord would want me to do. That's wisdom taking place in your heart. That's the Lord giving you wisdom. And uh, boy, it's been a long time since we had our study in the book of Proverbs. But when I learned those signs, how helpful that was in understanding the difference between all of these things. And let me say this to you. You can know and even understand something, but not put it into practice. I think a lot of us do that on a regular basis. We know something is right, we understand it's right, but we don't use wisdom in applying those principles. But it takes wisdom from God to be able to put God's truth into shoe leather. By the way, this is one of the reasons why on my daily prayer list, one thing I have on there is wisdom. I pray that God gives me wisdom. I pray that God gives me wisdom as a husband I pray God gives me wisdom as a father. I pray God gives me wisdom as a pastor. And in many other areas of life, I pray specifically for that. Because James chapter 1 and verse 5 says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Now that's a promise you can bake on. God says, if you feel like you're lacking in understanding, or you're lacking in, in, in knowing how to apply his truth and, and to, uh, to apply his truth in a certain situation that you're going through, then you need to ask him, God, I need wisdom. I don't, know, I don't know what you want me to do here. I need wisdom to know how to take the knowledge you've given me and the understanding you've given me to apply it into this situation right here. That's what the Lord teaches us about, the understanding of knowledge understanding, and wisdom. And that was helpful to me. I hope that's a help to you. Now, these are simple things, but I tell you what, it helps us understand these truths from a different light. So number one, God taught me about his order of authority. Number two, God taught me about knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. But I want you to notice number three with me here, and that is this, God taught me about faith. You all still with me tonight? All right, God taught me about faith. Now, we're going to do several signs here. My only hope of keeping you all awake tonight, okay, is you doing the signs with me, all right? So get ready. We're going we're to learn some more signs here tonight. Some of you kids, you should learn these signs too, all right? Uh, in fact, if, if, you can, if you can show me one of the signs I teach tonight after the sermon, I'll not accept sermon notes tonight. You need to show me a sign tonight in order to get your piece of candy tonight, okay? Uh, that's how I know you're listening. All right, here's the, here's the sign for us to practice here. The sign for believe, you believe something, that's belief. Because it's here that's something you hold on to. That's the idea communicated with that. Uh, It's a knowledge in your head that you grab a hold of. That's the idea communicated with belief. So here's belief. Here's another one. The sign for trust. I really like this one. The sign for trust. Am I doing it right? All right. I'm looking at my my helpers here. (laughs) Make sure I'm not leading you all astray. The sign for trust, it's almost like a a, a truth is going by and you grab on a hold of it. And it's interesting, it's pointing upward. Trust. This is trust. So there's belief. There's trust. Okay. Faith. What's faith? Well, faith is like this. You're going straight down. A lot of times, Katie just does this. She says, "But the proper way to do it is starting at your head." And there's a, there's a reason for why I want to emphasize those things. So we have belief, okay? We have trust, and we have faith. And these, you're taking two Fs, okay? And you're put, you're putting those together. That's 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 what communicates the faith there. It's why it's different um, than, uh, than the other signs there. Now, in all of those, it's interesting to me that you're starting with some type of uh, of truth or knowledge and then you're grabbing a hold of it. That's the idea. That's what makes things different than just mere knowledge or understanding. Faith, probably the best definition of faith we know is in Hebrews chapter 11. If you want to turn over there with me, Hebrews chapter 11. This is a familiar passage of Scripture to us, but Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 1. The Bible says here in this passage of Scripture Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is substance. Substance when you don't really have anything to hold on to. It's a substance that's found in your knowledge of a truth, and that truth is God's word. I may not have have anything material uh, to be able to demonstrate why I believe in something, but it's a truth that I hold on to. That's the idea of faith. I like the de- this definition of faith we learned from the book of Genesis. Faith is not being able to see, but believing the word of the one who can see. That's the type of faith that's demonstrated here in Hebrews 11 and verse 3, when the Bible says... Uh, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And we can't see how God created the world, but by faith in God's word, we know that God's city did it and we believe it. It's something we know from God's word that we've held on to. It's a truth that we've been made aware of and we've held on to. We've trusted in it. We've believed in it. We've put our faith in it. And so faith is rooted then in the truth of God's word or in the promises that God has made to us in his word. Now, here's promise. You ready for this? You watching? Here's promise. All right? It's a word that's spoken. It's like you're locking it away. You're sealing it. It's promised. All right? Now, when God promises us something, it's as good as done. I mean, he's never not going to keep his word. His word is something that we can put our faith in. His word is something we know we can believe in. Because his word is a word that even when we doubt. Now, I don't know how to, how to do doubt. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Doubt, all right? Pulling the wool off your eyes. That's what it was, doubt. Even when we doubt what God says, his promise is still secure. And here's the wonderful thing about it. Even when you and I are prone to doubt what God has to say, His promise still holds fast to us. Even when we're not faithful to keep our faith solid in Him, if we've trusted in the Lord and in His promise, concerning salvation, concerning whatever it may be, we know that His promise will hold us secure. That's why I like another song I hope to be able to sing someday. When when I fear my faith will fail he will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I'm glad that we can put confidence in the promise of God's word through our faith in him. And uh, that's a significant truth for us to understand there. Now, we've got to move along. We're almost out of time. I don't think I'll get through all of these, but I want to get to a couple more of these. Write this fifth thing down here, I'll, uh, or this fourth thing down here, I'm just going to mention this because we've parked on this quite a while here in Hebrews. But th- I love this, all right? Um, this sign right here, you know what it is? Finished. I'm done. And this reminds me of a... Uh, you know, it's it's what you do when you're sitting at the dinner table and someone comes to you, okay, and they say you want another biscuit, and you're like, no, I'm done. Don't do not give me any more, okay. It's kind of one of those universal signs, but it also reminds us of someone else who stretched out his arms the same way and said the same thing. It is finished, Jesus Christ. And, boy, that's a wonderful reminder of his finished work. I had a lot more I want to say on that. But we've parked on that for quite a bit here lately, and so I'm going to move along because I want to try to communicate some of these other things to you here. Write down this fifth thing. God taught me about leadership. God taught me something about leadership through sign language. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 23 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 23. I know this is a little different tonight. But I hope it's helpful to you. Matthew chapter 23 in the scriptures. It's hot up here. I'm going to take this jacket off. Matthew chapter 23. We'll go there in just a minute. Uh, When you get there, look up this way because I want to to show you a couple of signs. Um, Lead. The sign for lead. It's like this. That's the sign for lead. You're taking your hand, you're putting it around your other hand. You're taking your dominant hand, you're putting it around your subdominant hand, and you're pulling it along. Okay, that's lead. Uh, Follow. You're taking two A hands, and one's following the other. That's how you do follow. And uh, there's a lot of things about this that uh, are, are, are very unique to me. But when I learned this sign, Miss Katie was teaching it, and I was sitting there thinking, she's got it wrong. She, she must be just having, having a, a pregnancy brain problem right now, okay? That's what I was thinking. Because she was telling me to take my dominant hand and have it be the one who is here. I thought, well, lead. I, I need my dominant hand to be the one who's leading, who's, who, is, who is leading the other one forward. And then she kept emphasizing that. And, and I, and I, I kind of, I think Miss Berta was there that week. I looked at Miss Berta and I was like... Am I supposed to do it with this hand? And yeah, she said, with that hand. I was like, this this can't be right. And I looked in the book. That's what the book said too. Man, all these people, they've all got to be wrong. This is not leadership. And then the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, yes, it is leadership. It's leadership how I intended it to be. See, in the eyes of God, the leader is not the one who drives other people forward. But in the eyes of God, the leader is the one who leads from out front. Matthew 23 and verse number 11. This is what the Bible says. It says, But he that is greatest among you shall be your what? Servant. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 1, Be ye followers, therefore of me, even as I am of Christ. The Bible has a lot to teach us about the subject of leadership, but this principle I don't think it could have been communicated in my heart in a better way than through the sign. This is the type of leader God wants us to be, not this type of leader. And there is a difference. I was reading, I can't remember the name of the author right now, but I was reading someone who's talking about shepherding. And they made this statement. They said, the shepherd leads from out front. It's the butcher who leads. That drives from behind. <laughs> so, are you a shepherd or a butcher in your home? How are you choosing to lead in your sphere of ministry? Is it like herding the cows, <laughs> herding the sheep? Well, you're calling them from out front. The Lord has given us the proper way to exercise leadership. By the way, another really neat thing about this is uh, Ms. Katie taught us that leader that leader, that the sign of leadership is supposed to be directional. In other words, if I, if I want to lead you somewhere, I'm, I'm going to point the direction I'm wanting to lead you. If I want you to follow me somewhere, I'm going to direct where I want you to follow me to. It's, it's a directional sign. A lot of signs in the sign language are directional like that. It reminded me of something else about leadership. You really don't have any business having people follow you and really don't, probably won't have any people following following you unless you're taking them somewhere. (coughs) Leadership is always directional. By the way, you can lead people in the wrong direction and you can follow people in the wrong direction too. There are a lot of principles we can learn uh, from this simple concept, um, but it is important nonetheless. Let me move along here to this next thing. Number six, another thing God taught me is God taught me about unity. He taught me about unity. Now, Miss Katie, I don't think we actually learned the word unity, but I think, is this it? So they're like, oh, that'll work. <laughs> unity, I don't like as much as what I'm, I think this is the sign for unity like this. But what I want to teach you is a sign that goes along with what the scripture has to say when it says the early church was of one accord. And that's the sign for the word, agree. The sign for the word of agree is um, you point to your head, the sign for think, and then you come down like this, and it's the, it's, it's the sign for the word same. So there's two, there's two words you're using, think, same. You're thinking the same. That's what it means to agree, to think the same on something. And by the way, that is the key to true unity of the early church The unified church, it was said they were of one accord. They were of one mind. They thought the same when it came to Jesus Christ, and that's significant. And and so to be truly in unity is to agree on something. It's to think the same thing. Many believers in churches are being divided today over petty issues, okay? Okay? I like to use this illustration because it's so vividly in our minds right now. How many of you believe you should wear these anywhere and everywhere you go? Yeah. Some of you who are watching the live stream very well may be thinking that, though. All right? My daughter's raising her hand, in case you're wondering. All right? How many of you believe I shouldn't have to wear this anywhere that I go? There you go. Some of you are Neutral. How many of you think no matter whether whether someone believes they have to wear this or they don't have to wear this wherever they go, that we should agree to get along no matter what? I think we all can agree on that. And see, here's the thing. When you come to petty issues, to live in unity doesn't mean that we think exactly the same about every single issue. But it means that on the essential issues, we do have agreement. We're being reminded of the Augustine quote that I can't quote right now, but um, he essentially says the same thing. We can disagree on all of these other petty things, but in all things, we should be able—all the essential things—we should be able to come to a place of unity. We may disagree on music. We may disagree on dress. We may disagree on on how many services we do or don't have or whether or not this instrument should be used or whether or not that thing should be done or whether or not someone should wear a mask. We might disagree on a plethora of things. But if we can agree on the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I can have fellowship together. There are issues that ought to divide people. There's no doubt about that. But there are essential issues that also ought to bring us together. And it is a sad thing when a church allows pettiness to divide it. When we have something so much more wonderful than our little petty preferences that ought to be bringing us together unity. Let me give you a couple passages of scripture. We'll not go to all of them, but Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We think as Christ thinks, as the scripture instructs us to t- think, that will bring our hearts together. Philippians 1.27 says that we're to uh, strive together to be of the same mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. And that is significant for us when it comes to this subject right here. We're almost out of time, so let me give you this final thing. The final thing that God taught me about from sign language is he taught me about how to continue. And I love this sign. It stirred my heart as a pastor and as a, as a young man in the faith. The sign for continue. The sign for continue, you start with doing the sign for stay, which is you're taking your right thumb or your, the thumb of your dominant hand. If you're left-handed, you'd use your left thumb. You're taking your dominant hand and you're putting it on top of, is this correct? Oh, well, this is what, this is, this is what the... Uh, Thing said, Okay, regardless. She's saying do this. That's a lot easier anyways, okay? The book said to do this, but she's saying to do this, so we'll go with what she said. Well, you're doing the sign for stay, and then you're pushing it forward. And the whole idea that's communicated with that, continue, is that it's stay, and then you're pushing it forward. And so the emphasis of it is that you're continuing to stay. That's what's being emphasized with that sign. And when I learned that sign right there, God did a work in my heart. Because all it means to continue is to hold on to the same truths that you were taught from the beginning. Continue. Now, I want you to go to one more place before we're done. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Well, the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave this challenge to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12. I think this is important for us, church, in the middle of this time that we're going through right now, to understand this truth. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. If you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But what? Continue. Continue. Thou and the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Regardless of what the sign for it is. Someone who continues is someone who keeps on staying. Keeps on staying with the stuff. That's what the biblical definition of continue means. And you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the future days of our country. But my prayer would be, that I as a young man, I as a young pastor would continue to keep staying with the things God has established in my heart that are true, that we would continue, even with some of the things that we talked about this morning, that we would continue. Keep on staying with the stuff. (coughs) It's important for us to understand you know, and I'm, I'm just going to bring up one current issue and I'll, and I'll be done tonight. But I, men- I mentioned John MacArthur earlier. And if you've been watching any news here lately, and John MacArthur has been on the news a lot lately because of his church, um, Grace Community Church, I believe it is. He is one of the only pastors, well, not one of the only, I know a lot of pastors in California who are regularly having church services. Their churches are just so small that they're not getting onto the national blip. MacArthur's church is a mega church. It's a big church, that grace community there. And they decided to go ahead and start having church again, even though the, the governor had said they shouldn't do it. And then their county officials came and filed suit against them to tell them they couldn't meet in the building. And they kept meeting in the building. And so the the suit went to court and a judge in the court hearing actually actually overturned the decision of the county officials and told them this past week they could meet. As long as they practiced social distancing policies, they could meet. And that was a big victory and everybody's like, yes, freedom, America, great. Well, late last night, they reconvened and overturned the, judge, the judge's decision. You know what happened this morning? They had church. They kept staying. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I used to say we've not really seen any persecution in America. I will not go so far as to say we're seeing any persecution near the type of persecution our forefathers suffered. But I think for the first time in a real tangible way in America in many years, we are seeing persecution happen against Christians for just staying. But the challenge that Paul gave to Timothy here was to continue, was to keep staying and may that be a challenge and an encouragement for us as we continue to go forward through these days. And I know for me it was, it was something that God really stirred my heart about. I know all of these things we've looked at tonight are simple. Maybe none of them were revolutionary to you. Some, but all of them helped me to understand truth that I thought I understood fully in a new light. And I hope that it's done the same for you tonight. And we've kind of been all over the place tonight. We've talked about leadership. We've talked about continuing. We've talked about the, the, the finished work of Jesus Christ. We've talked about unity. Uh, we talked earlier on about faith. Uh, we've talked about the order of authority and society and our homes. And uh, we've talked about uh, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. I don't know what part of what we talked about tonight was for you, but I will say something to you Listen, anytime we hear the word of God, it is not to merely give us knowledge. It is not merely to give us understanding. But the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.18, that, 2 Peter 3.18, that we're to grow in grace. Grace. The Lord giveth wisdom. Grace is the ability God gives us beyond our own ability to take his knowledge, to take the understanding of his truth and put it into practice. James says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. And what I would challenge you as a way of invitation here this evening is to take what God has done in your heart tonight and don't just stuff it in your head to be more knowledge. But having understood something, now make a decision to put it into practice make a decision to put God's truth in the practice tomorrow morning. However God's worked in your heart. And that's my challenge for you for this invitation. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and it was more teaching tonight than preaching. And yet I believe there's...